Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Tom McCormick, and I am one of the pastors here at Hope. I'm a small groups pastor here. Uh, you probably know me because you got an email from me uh, sometime in your past. Uh, at least I hope you did. Thank you for that. Is anybody out there but me? I mean, am I the only one in here? Amen. Uh, we're currently going through a series called The People of God. And in this series, uh, last weekend we talked about Uh, what that looked like as we submit to the government. This weekend, we're going to take a little bit of a turn. We're going to go from a 30,000-foot view of who exactly are we talking about when we submit to a specific view for those of you who have a vocation. I know there are several people in the room who've either had a job in the past or you have a job now. Um, That's awesome. But here's what I'd like to say. The Bible speaks to what that needs to look like in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right. Here we go. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, take a look at what we looked at the past couple weeks as far as the big idea is concerned when we talk about the people of God. Here's the big idea. It should be on the screen for you. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is, and who we are in him shapes how we live. And we get that, right? Don't we get that? Like, as Jesus' followers, it's Jesus' life being lived through me, and as I live, it's actually his life, not just me, all right? So I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. So what I'd like for us to do, if we really understand that who he is matters and who he is is who I am, that's what shapes how I live, I want us to read uh, this big idea together. Let's do it, okay? You ready? It should be on the screen. Here we go. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. And who we are in him shapes how we live. Shouldn't it shape how we live and our job too? Like a lot of people, I, I, you know, if you grew up in church kind of like I did, you, you have this uh, mentality that church is what we're doing right now. This is one of the things that we do as a church, but it's not the only thing that makes us who we are. There's a whole other seven days or six and a half days a week that we go out and we are who we are. Right, Bob? So as we think through that today, more than just a 30,000-foot view um, let's get specific today on, on who it is we're supposed to submit to. And I want to start today uh, with a, a quote from Clyde Cranford. Clyde said this, because I think it sets us up beautifully for where we want to be. Your reaction to authority is the greatest evidence of your spiritual maturity. The reaction you have to authority is the greatest evidence of your spiritual maturity. In other words, how we react to those in authority over us will indicate for us where we are in our walk with the Lord. That's easy to pull back on and go, ee, right? I thought I was farther along than that, Mickey. You know, I mean, not pointing you out, of course. Yeah. 
You know, I remember I, I was thinking through, as I was preparing for the sermon, what is the most difficult thing for us to do as humans? God really brought me to this place where he showed me in every phase of my life, it's really been submission to authority. I mean, think about it. When you're born, your parents are the problem, right? Mom and dad, they don't know. Then you, get it, you, you go to school and you find out it's your teacher. It's not your mom and dad, it's your teacher who's the problem. Then you get a job and it's got to be the boss, right? You go to college, you get your degree, you know it was the professor who gave you the awful grade. I mean, it, it, and you look back at your life and what you come to find out is that it's not those people, it's actually you. Like the problem's me. From the very beginning when we, at the fall where, where Adam and Eve chose to do opposite of what God did, rebellion came in and sin came in. And the toughest thing for us to do is to submit to anybody. Even people we care about and love. And people we think are going to help us more than anything else. This issue of authority is a big deal. And what Claude said about our reaction to it should really show us where we are in our relationship with him. And I think that's what Peter was trying to point out to us as we look today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. How many of you have ever had a really bad boss? Yeah. Not me. Here, uh-uh, uh-uh. On this earth, no. Yes. All of us know what that's like to have somebody that's unreasonable, unfair, right? We all, all of us know what it's like to work for somebody who disrespects us or doesn't treat us in a way that, they, that we think that they ought to treat us, who's our boss and who has authority over us. All of us have been there. So what I'd like for, to do right now is ask just a couple of you to come up and share. I'm just kidding. So, I saw somebody stand up. I'm coming up there, yeah. The truth is I would imagine that we've all experienced this. But so did the people who we're going to read about today in 1 Peter chapter 2. They were experiencing it too. Now, they, they experienced it in a little bit different way, but we're going to use the principles that, are, that we find here in 1 Peter chapter 2 to really look deep inside who we are as, peop, as the people of God in our workplace. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Let's read that together. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when, a, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Some of your versions may not just say servant. It may actually say slave there. So you may have a version that actually says that, right? Some versions do say that. So I want to address just for a second, Pastor Vance touched on it last week, but I want to address just for a second the understanding that what happened here in our country in the 1800s gives us a, a horrible view of what uh, Peter was dealing with here. They weren't the same. Were they both wrong? They were wrong. Were they wrong in different ways? They absolutely were. So one of the things that Pastor Vance said uh, last week, and, and you'll see why I'm saying this in just a minute, he said the largest slave-operated state in history was the Roman Empire of this time. One out of every three people were slaves. Think through that. 33% of the population in the Roman Empire were what were known as slaves or 
servants. And one, uh, some of the translations actually say servant here instead of slave. So what I did was I went back and did a little uh, digging in history to find out exactly what that looked like. And I picked four things from the history of slavery or of servanthood at this time. And I want to help us to, to kind of look over into what that looked like. Because slavery or servanthood, believe it or not, in this century looked more like employee-employer than it did the slavery, which we know was the atrocity, one of the atrocities of our country. Does that make sense? You, you with me? I know sometimes people in the back don't stick with me as much, but stay with me here, all right? Because this sermon, much like last week's sermon, hits all of us. And I believe that if we would get this and understand what God is teaching us today through this word, it'll change our city. It'll change us. So here are the things that I found out after digging and doing a little history on the history of slavery at this time. Number one, slavery was common. I just said it, right? One out of every three people in this time period were considered slaves. Number two, some were more educated than their owners. In fact, not just some, most. Slavery was not just something that they uh, had put together so they could have workers uh, for their houses or for, their, for the crops that they owned. No, it wasn't that at all. In fact, a lot of people had slaves that were doctors, teachers, even lawyers, people who were very educated in society. You say, Tom, how did they get to this point? Well, the reason that they came into slavery wasn't because of anybody else. It was because they put themselves into slavery. The, the third point I want us to see is that they willingly put themselves under the submission of somebody else to get themselves out of debt. You see how it doesn't really coincide with what we're thinking of today when we say slavery? The, the slavery that was the atrocity of our country? You see how it doesn't go together, but how it does go more with employee employers? They willingly put themselves under the authority of somebody else to pay off a debt, which brings us to number four, that slavery was supposed to be temporary. It was only supposed to last until the debt could be paid. It was only supposed to last as long as they had the debt still out. Does that make sense? All right. So let me give you four things now that we can um, use as descriptions or crossovers to what we know as employee-employer relationships. Number one, as an employee, working is, an, is another, excuse me, working for a nut for, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Woo. Working for somebody else is common. That's what I was trying to say, all right? Those of you who, who have your own business, praise the Lord, right? But most of us work for somebody else, for the most part. Working for somebody else is very common. And as long as I'm here, working should be common too. Amen? Amen, yes. Some of y'all didn't amen on that one. Y'all need to get a job or something. All right, working should be common. Number two, it's very possible to be as, if not more, experienced or educated than the person you work for. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, you don't have to tell Americans that. They're like, heck yeah, my boss is dumb. <laughs> right? That's common too. You know, you go into a setting, you go, you know, I'm more educated than him. I, I'm more experienced than he is. And he's, but guess what? He's still the boss. So I want to land the plane right there on that one. Number three, we place ourselves under their authority willingly in a job 
to have what we need financially. You know that's why you have a job, right? To put money in the bank. I mean, I like to work, but come on, let's give, give me a break. I wouldn't do it for nothing, right, most of the time. And, I mean, you went for the job that you could make money to put money in the bank for yourself, but you willingly put yourself under that person when you started. I told the, the, the last service, I, I, um, I uh, worked for my dad for a while, and my dad gave me the authority to hire and fire people. And I remember, you know, the hiring part was, you know, it was kind of fun. The firing part, that was, dude, it wasn't good. But I remember when I'm sitting and I'm hiring people, I came to a place where I just said, now, are you going to do what you said you'd do? That's the only question I got. Does that make sense? You say you're going to be here five days a week, right? This is a five-day week. It's eight hours. There's a workstation. You're signing it up. You're actually going to be here. Yes. Praise the Lord. That's half the battle. Here's what I'm saying. They were willingly putting themselves under my authority. That's what we all do when we work for somebody. We willingly say, I am going to submit to you. That's what they did in this age of slavery at this time as well. They didn't want to be that. They didn't want to be a doctor who was owned by somebody, but they knew that their debt had come to a place where they had no other choice. And then number four, we know that if we want to work somewhere else in the future that we probably can. You see, just like it was temporary for them, there's temporariness in our jobs as well. Most people, you know, uh, growing up, my grandfather worked for the Sears Corporation forever. That's not as common today. I mean, almost uncommon that someone would work their whole life for one company. Our, our jobs are temporary. We understand that. I mean, even at some point you retire. Amen. Some of y'all can tell me about that. I don't know anything about that. Maybe someday. But they're temporary. So as we thought, start thinking about the principles that Peter's about to lay out for these, these first century Christians as it comes to slavery, let's think through the eyes, not of slavery, because that's not who we are, but let's think through the eyes of employee-employer, okay? Can we do that? So let's look at what Peter exhorts here in the first verse, in verse 18, chapter 2. Who's he addressing? Look at it there in verse 18. Who's he addressing? He's addressing servants, right? Slaves. This isn't the regular word for slave. The regular word for slave was doulos. This is the word oikates. And oikates means one thing. It means house servants. Specifically, those who work in the houses. Very common practice. Everybody had a house servant, if you will. What was he telling them to do? He was telling them to do exactly what we talked about last week. Be submissive. Remember how I opened the sermon today? This is the toughest thing for us to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be submissive. You've asked me to do the hardest thing. What does be submissive? I mean, what does the word submissive mean? Pastor Vance helped us with that last week as well. He said this: to submit means to willingly place myself under the authority of another. It is a military expression meaning to arrange in formation under a commander. It means to allow someone to be in authority over you. When you take a job, that's exactly what you do. That's what you do. And that's what you should continue to do. How can we apply it here? Well, understanding that my workplace authorities are God's design for me. I am willingly placing myself under their authority to follow instruction and work hard as long as those authorities don't contradict the Bible. You say, Tom, you obviously don't know my boss. I don't. Don't have to. Just wanted to do a little pause there. In fact, he's going to talk about this in just a minute. 
You see, Vance told us last week, he said, this is not me having faith in my boss. This is me having faith in God. That as I submit to his design, I can trust him to change the heart of those, including my boss or my employer, in any way he needs to. Most of you try to change your boss. That'll never work. You try to change your spouse, how's that working out? (laughs) Your spouse loves you. We can't change people, but God can. Amen. God, listen, God has you where he wants you to be. You think you're there to put money in the bank, but God has a whole other thing going on. God's got something going on for you and for all the people that you work with. So who were they to submit to? Well, specifically their masters. We're going to say here in, in our context, their employers. One who has legal control, legal authority over you. One in control, I mean, one who could drop you at, the, at, at, at a moment's notice. He has that authority. He has control over you. He's the boss. People don't like bosses. People don't like authority. We love our sin. It's simple, really, though. The servants here in 1 Peter, they were to submit to their masters, the masters that they should submit to. But us, we're to submit to our employers, the employers that we said that we would submit to. Now, the good thing about this is, is I'm not any of your employers. I'm talking freely and openly, but very honestly to you. Because Christian people should be the best employees any business has. In East Asia, I was asked to come and speak at a church. And I asked them, did they have anything in particular? And they said, we do. We would like for you to speak on what it means to be a Christian employee. I said, why is that? And they began to tell me a story. And I think I told it to you last year when I preached a similar message out of Colossians. They said, we work really hard, and that's what we're, that we do that because the Bible says that we should. But when we do, the authorities come, and they ask our employer who the hardest workers are, and they, the employer tells, us, tells them us. And when they do that, they follow us until they find us all together, and then they arrest us. So here's my question. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to work really hard, but when I work really hard, I get arrested. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to work hard anymore. Makes sense, right? I mean, if you're going to be arrested for your faith, why not just not work hard, not be found out? Well, here's why. Because it's opposite of the Scripture. And when the Bible says this is who we are and this is what we should be, then that's who we are and that's what we should be. We're the people of God. And it matters in your workplace as well. So there are really two things that I want to do today. And I could actually stop the sermon right there. We could ask the worship team to come back up and I say, go work hard. Be Christian in your workplace, and you should just go do it. But I'm going to give you a couple of things today that I believe will really help us to understand a little bit deeper and more on why God said what he said, okay? So let's look at two things. Number one, I want us to see the attitude of submission. There's a, there's a truth in here that if you, don't, if you don't read slowly, you'll read right over. Here's the truth. Peter said, I want you servants to be submissive to your masters, and then he uses this prepositional phrase, with all 
respect. Not some respect, all. Everything you got. As a child, my parents would tell me what to do, and for the most part, I obeyed them. But I didn't always respect them. Any of you ever done that? Like, have you finished, have you done what you've been told to do? Pastor Vance last week talked about being asked to take the trash out, but kicking the can all the way down the driveway, right? Sometimes I obeyed them, but I didn't always respect them. And while, even while I did, I was obedient to them. They could always tell the difference, and so could I. And that's convicting to me. To submit without total respect isn't the biblical definition of submission. Submission does not mean just do what they've told you to do. Submission means do what you've been asked to do and do it with all respect. That's what biblical submission looks like. My parents were my authority. I needed to respect them. The most important part of the submission was the respect, not the obedience. Because there's really not obedience without it. The principle for slaves to submit to their masters here applies for employees as well as it does for them. With all respect, with all respect, with respect for your boss, the right attitude toward your boss. You say, Tom, I was with you until you got to that point. Like, I, I will obey or I will do what he asked me to do. I will do what she asked me to do, but I will not respect. Then you don't submit. Then you haven't submitted. He doesn't deserve it. I'm with you. Is he a jerk? Got it. Is he unfair, unreasonable, disrespectful? Got it. We haven't been asked to serve only people who aren't. We've been asked to serve those who are as well. And there's a great reason, and we'll get to that. The word respect literally means healthy reverence or due regard for another. Listen to this. As a fellow human being, I like to be known as a human being, don't you? Listen, a fellow human being created in the image of God, but especially for those who are your boss or who are your employer. The truth is, submission is only correct and is only correct submission when there's a correct attitude of submission, which is respect. You know, Johnny Hunt a few years ago made a quote, and I hope I'm getting it right. It's going to be on the screen for you. He said, we obey as much of the Bible as we believe. You know, what I should be able to do is just simply read this passage of Scripture and for us to walk away as employees and go, it's tough, but I'm going to do it. But that's not how it usually happens for Christians, right? With all respect, I'm to not only obey what I've been asked, I'm to respect as I obey that, as I submit to their authority. Peter understood this. He starts in verse 8 at the end of 18 and he says, listen, I, I got it. I mean, you're supposed to submit. But there are easy people to submit to, and there are difficult people. Have any of you ever worked for a really good boss? There are really, really good ones out there, right? Um, They don't let you get by with everything. At the same time, they're very respectful toward you. They realize who you are, and they realize the education you you may have, or they realize the experience that you may have, and they're very respectful. And so they're easy. Peter said they're good and gentle, right? He said not only to those who are good and gentle, the word good means good at heart or intrinsically good. The ones who love you, who look out for you. That's why you love them as a boss. He said, but not only to them, but to the unreasonable ones too. It's easy to submit to somebody who's good and gentle. Wives, if you have a good and gentle husband, you know what I mean. 
I meet with lots of wives whose husbands aren't good and gentle. It's difficult to submit in any way to anybody who isn't good and gentle. But here's what, here's what Peter said. But there's also the difficult ones. He said, but also submit to those who are unreasonable. You know what this word unreasonable means? Crooked. Morally bent. It's actually where we get our English word scoliosis from. Morally bent. Crooked. It means to be twisted, dishonest, difficult to deal with, bad-tempered, unfair. Have you ever known anybody like that? He said you'd have to, you're going to have to put up with sorrows. You're going to have to put up with things that you shouldn't have to put up with. You're going to be, you're going to suffer unjustly. In verse 20 he says you're going to be harshly treated. You know what this word actually means? To be hit in the face. You're going to be harshly, listen, these people weren't just dealing with somebody who was a jerk. These people were dealing with people who were hitting them, beating them. He said you're going to suffer for it. You're going to endure You're going to take on negativity when you did nothing to endure it. But your obligation to submit to those who are like that is the same as if they were good and gentle. And you say, Tom, why would God do that to us? Realize God does know, right? He knows what's best for us. But he also knows what's best for other people. I said it just a minute ago, and Travis reminded me as I said it in the last service. You don't have your job just for you. You were given your job for other people. You were given your job so that you can make an impact in the place that you work. You were given your job so that other people would know Jesus. They don't want you to just talk about him. They want you to live him. So no matter what treatment you get, you may suffer for your obedience to God. You may suffer because you submit, but your attitude does matter. Biblical Christianity produces action from us, but action without the right attitude produces religion in us too. Doesn't produce godliness. Your attitude and submission matters. But secondly, there isn't just an attitude and submission. And then last, there's motivation and submission too. Look what he says in verse 19. He uses a little phrase that you might just read past. He says, there's a reason that you should submit. Why you should submit, there's a reason. Here's what he said. Conscience toward God. What does that mean? What does it mean to have conscience toward God? It means to love what he loves, to see like he sees, to to submit like he did. A lot of times when we see Jesus, we see a man and we say we could never do what he did. Yet he lives inside of you. Not only could you do what he did, you can do what he's doing. As you allow him to do just that. Peter goes on to tell us that this finds favor. As we see his thoughts, his perspectives, his desires and the way that he sees them. This finds favor with God. It's right to be conscious of what God is conscious of. It should be normal for Jesus' follower to have the conscience of God. He realizes that he isn't... uh, Any worker who's a Christian realizes that he's not just working for a job or for other people. He's actually working for God himself. He's conscious of God, toward God, toward the things of God. How would God react in certain situations? How would God react to those who aren't so nice? Peter said it finds favor if you do that. Because what Jesus did for us finds favor. In fact, this word favor is the word grace. 
It could literally be translated grace. In some of your translations, it may say graciousness or gracious. Can you imagine Peter saying this? Who saw more grace than Peter? Peter, as he looked from a distance after denying Jesus, watching Jesus be tormented and beaten, watching Jesus be put on that cross and watching him die and then be taken down, put into that tomb, but then come out the third day. And all he could think of when he saw Jesus on the shore there as he made breakfast for him was how much grace that must take. Here's what Peter said. This finds favor. This is graciousness. This is grace from your life to somebody else. This finds favor with God. I can imagine Peter thinking through this in his mind. Let me ask you this. What motivates us to allow someone to truly have authority over us and for us to submit with all respect like Jesus did? What motivates us? What would motivate you? Consciousness toward God. That thing that finds favor with God. Are you conscious when you're at your job that God is the one who's working in and through you for those that you're with for the kingdom of God? It finds favor with God. God expects us to live like he did. Are you aware? Totally? Are you aware of how God would have us react or behave in the face of those who are unfair and reasonable and disrespectful? You say, Tom, is this more about a bad boss than it is a good one? Yes. You know why? Because most of us would say that's the kind of boss we have. But what you do matters. I understand this command seems strange. You know, when you come to a church service, you really want to hear something really great and, you know, you, whoo. Can we not talk about, you know, love, forgiveness, mercy? We are. We are. I don't know if you've noticed. We got some extra seats over here today. People aren't knocking the door down to get in most churches in America. But we can take the church to them, right? Who you are in Christ matters and your attitude will be the first thing they see. But the motivation that you have in it is so important to understand that God and you is speaking to them. I understand it's unnatural. For our flesh, anything is. We can't do anything that God wants us to do in in, in the verses that we just read without him. It's... Unless you have salvation, there's no way to understand this. But even those of us who know God sometimes struggle in this area. So I want to end today by reminding us what Pastor Vance said last weekend that still stands today, not just with the government last week and that 30,000-foot view, but honing in down on a specificity of your employer, your boss, your job, your workplace. There are two things I want us to leave with today. Number one, don't forget we have an ultimate authority. Some of you think you're working for your boss, but you're really working for God. You dislike your situation so much that you've totally forgotten God has you there for a purpose. We have an ultimate authority. There's no authority over you that God didn't place there. That brings me confidence. As much as he's aware of of who our government officials are, he's also aware of who your boss is. You know your boss is known by God. I know that seems for some of you, you're like, ah, (laughs) ah. He doesn't mess with him or her. Oh, he knows him. He knows her well. 
And you know what? He's using you to help them to know him. The second thing I want you to see is that we have an ultimate mission. God has placed you where he has for his glory. You're supposed to be the light there. You see, these servants to whom Peter was writing, they were there for a reason. They looked at themselves, especially those who were being beaten. They looked at it as if God didn't know or as if God had forgotten them. But it was exactly the opposite. God was going to use them in a way that nobody else could be used. In fact, Robert Wiest writes, um, uh, there's a quote from Robert Wiest about this exact thing. He says this, he said, The masters had their faces dead set against these Christian slaves. We can understand that attitude when we were, we can understand that attitude when we remember that these slaves lived lives of, listen to this, singular purity, meekness, honesty, willingness to serve, obedience in the households of their heathen masters. This, listen to this, was the powerful testimony for the gospel and brought them, the owners, under conviction of sin. Our reaction to those in authority will, number one, either aid them to understand that we truly believe what we say we believe because we act like Jesus. Or the second thing, we'll push them away because they will be as, as sure as they were on point number one, that Christianity isn't real. You say one thing and do another, you prove that a hypocritical attitude will tell me there is no God. You understand that, right? God has you there for a reason. I love that because he trusts us. He trusts us to carry those water buckets that are filled with water that will soon turn to blood. But he didn't need us to carry them. He trusts us. He is constantly trusting us with his gospel and his life. And we get to do that. You see, the ultimate mission is in verse 12. I know we didn't read that today, but look back there for just a second. It will be on the screen as well. The reason that he has you where he has you is so that they, those who are outside, may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God. You see, here's the reality. Las Vegas should be a better city because you live in it. And subsequently, consequently, specifically, your workplace should be a better place because you work there. Because you're in it. Let me ask you something. Is your workplace a better place because you're there? I've talked to several people over the last 17 years of ministry. And they've told me about a person they worked with that had the biggest impact in their life. You know what they didn't say? They didn't say the Bible did or that God did. They said the person did. And you know what? They're right. God had and the Bible did have. A huge impact in their life through a person. Vance says it all the time. Everybody who's a Christian met another Christian before they met Christ. You see, the job that you have, you got an ultimate mission. And as you don't submit to that authority, you begin to lose the influence you have through the attitude that you don't get, that you don't have, and through the motivation that you don't understand. God wants to use you exactly where you are. So just a few questions as we leave today that I want you to ponder. That as we close the service today and pastors will be here or you can come pray. I ask you just to think through these questions and be honest with yourself about this. Overall, how do I behave or respond to those 
who are unfair, unreasonable, disrespectful? How do you respond? Just be honest with yourself. Secondly, when it comes to attitude, when I submit to my authority, do I submit with all respect? Listen, for those of you who are employees and you have a boss, you don't own your own business, do you submit with all authority? Excuse me, do you submit with all respect? Do you submit with all respect to your authority? When it comes to motivation, here's the question. Am I conscious of Jesus' conscience in me in difficult circumstances of submitting to authority? Am I aware of Jesus who's in me, who's changed my life? And then fourthly, when it comes to the mission, are you willing to give up your reaction to others who are unfair, unreasonable, disrespectful, because they may not know God unless you do? Some people say, well, that was all about employers. Well, that's, uh, that's what the scripture's about right there. But I'm not going to let you employers off the hook. The Bible says that the employer who is good and gentle is easy to submit to, and the one who is unreasonable is very difficult to submit to. Let me ask you this as an employer. Are you good and gentle? Does that describe you? Can you imagine what kind of workplace you'd have if the, employees, if the employers were all good and gentle and the people all submitted can you imagine? Can you imagine? I know what kind of workplace I had with my dad. My, my dad was the epitome of good and gentle. And his employees loved him. They would do anything for him. My dad was a very successful businessman. My dad was more successful at relationships, though. The ladies would stop him, and my dad would come to their desk, and They'd tell them about a problem they were going through with their son or with their husband or with their church or with something. I remember one year, my dad, we were just a small business. I was looking at the books, and I'm sure I'd spent way too much that year. My dad, uh, he said, do we have the, bo the bonuses ready for Christmas? And I said, well, no, sir. I said, um, we, really don't have, we really don't have the money. He said, well, that's unacceptable. I looked at the bank account. It's not there. He said, son, these people have worked for us all year. We're not going to do that to them. My dad went to his own bank account and got money out, brought it back, gave them all bonuses, and, of course, the frozen turkey. I know what a good and gentle boss looks like. I don't know how everybody wants to submit to that. So if you're an employee, employer, go for good and gentle. You'll be surprised how your people follow. But for those of us who are in the room who don't work for a good and gentle boss, and that's not me, God in you can do it. God's wanting to do something bigger than you could ever imagine as long as you will follow him. Have his conscience. Have the right attitude of respect. He will reach people like you've never seen if you'll allow him to do that through you. So let me... Say this today as you leave. If you're an employee, begin to do what we talked about today. Find that respect. Understand that motivation. Be submissive with all respect to your boss no matter what. And if you're an employer, maybe you need to contact some of your old employees and tell them you're sorry. That'd be a great place, right? Go back and say, I don't know that I did it correctly, but I want you to know I always cared about you. Maybe you, maybe you weren't even a Christian until now. Tell them that. You may be surprised what God will do with that. Because you know why? There's an ultimate mission.
God's in it. The reaction, the behavior that we're talking about today, I know is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Come back next week and you'll find out what that looked like.